2: A better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: I am also the publisher for Zippy Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. And you can check it out on ZibiBooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibi Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zippymag.com. We have classes at zippyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zippy's Bookshop Jean Kwok is the author of The Leftover Woman, a novel. She's a repeat guest on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and is a New York Times and internationally bestselling author of Searching for Sylvie Lee, Girl in Translation, and Mambo in Chinatown. Her work has been published in 20 countries and is taught in universities, colleges, and high schools around the world. She has been selected for numerous honors, including the American Library Association Alex Award, the Chinese American Librarians Association's the Chinese American Librarians Association Best Book Award and the Sunday Times EFG Short Story Award International Shortlist. She is fluent in Chinese, Dutch, and English. Thank you, Jean. I'm so happy to have you back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Leftover Woman, a novel. So excited.
1: I am so thrilled and happy to see you again, Zibby. Oh my gosh.
0: Oh, and thank you so much for putting me in the acknowledgments. That was so sweet. Thank you. Uh
1: Of course, of course, of course, because you are such a force in the publishing world, as is commonly acknowledged and, you know, as a member of your author board of Zippy Books, I have a kind of close-up view of, you know, how much you really genuinely care about being innovative, about helping authors, about making sure that attention goes to the worthy, attention and resources. So we are all very grateful to you, Zippy. Thank you. Thank you. That was so sweet.
0: (laughs) Well, I told you this over Instagram, but as I was finishing the book, I got my first pedicure that I haven't gotten like in an airport and I can't in like maybe a year or two. And only because my daughter was getting one and like begged me to, to do it. Anyway, I was all the way like close to the end and I had to finish and they were like, okay, you want to get up and like go to the dryer? And I was like, no, no, no. I, I need to just sit here, please. And then like five minutes later they came back and they're like, uh, would you like to get up? And I'm like, nope, "No, no, I, I have to keep reading. So I was just, I got so, so into it and I I didn't see, I didn't even, I didn't see it all coming and I loved the way it, I mean, I just, the whole thing was
1: great. It was really cool. Really great. (laughs) I'm so excited to hear that because that's, of course, what every author wants, you know, that the reader is so sucked in that they're like, just leave me alone. Let me finish. Let me figure out what happened. And it's, you know, it's always, it's a challenge, especially since, you know, as you know, this book is about Two mothers, two worlds, and one impossible choice. And so it's really, really hard. It was hard for me to figure out how to have an ending that would not be too much one way or another, that, you know, kind of emphasizes unity and motherly love yep. and is kind of unexpected, but yet earned. And so yeah, that was what I was trying to do.
0: Wow. Maybe yes, go into what the book is actually about for other people now that I've, you know, got about it. <laughs>
1: Okay. Well, so the book is about a young woman in China who gives birth to a baby during the one-child policy. And she's told the baby dies shortly after birth. She grieves terribly. But a few years later, she finds out that the baby had not died, but had been given away for adoption by her no-good husband, to a wealthy American couple for adoption. And when the book opens, uh, Jasmine Yang is her name. Jasmine has followed her daughter to New York to get her baby back. And the book is told from two points of view, from that of Jasmine, the biological mother, and that of Rebecca Whitney, the wealthy adoptive mother who, you know, desperately, desperately loves her daughter.
0: You have this whole subplot of Rebecca's attempt to acquire a manuscript by like a, basically like the Sandra Cisneros type author who like has a new amazing book coming out. And you reveal a lot of, you know, insider, well, theoretically insider talk about what it's like being left out of an auction. And what do you have to do to like get on this author's good side and her taking her to lunch? I mean, there was so much stuff about publishing. And you, of course, are a massive best-selling author. Talk about where that came from. Did you see all that stuff related to your own books? Like where, you know, just give me a little
1: color on all of that. Well, that was so fun to write, right? That was totally fun because Rebecca Whitney is, she comes from old money. I did not mean to suggest that people in publishing all live in penthouses and brownstones like Rebecca does. But, you know, she, she is kind of the modern woman trying to have it all and trying, like all of us, to balance success and ambition and love for her family. And like so many of us, she is judged so harshly, right? It's kind of what, you know, so much of what you do is about, Zibi. It's about how, you know, we're kind of just killing ourselves, trying to be everything to everyone. And somehow, you know, the judgment that's laid upon us is can be pretty devastating. And you never feel like you can do it all. You never feel like you have enough time or resources to give everybody all. And so Rebecca is indeed, you know, top brass at a publishing house. And she goes through all of the struggles that, you know, we do in publishing with competing for a top manuscript and, you know, dealing with having a limited budget and dealing with a fickle readership and she gets embroiled in an industry scandal due to some mistakes that she's made and her career is about to come tumbling down. So yes, all of that is happening while this whole other story is going on with her child.
0: Yes. And you even, you know, I won't give anything away, but just the the trust that you have to develop or that you, you need in order to have a successful relationship with your author and how as an editor or a publisher, you have to have this sort of blind faith in whatever the author is telling you. But what if that leads you astray? You don't know.
1: No, that's right. That's right. And indeed, in the book, what happens, you know, what we know, find out right away with Rebecca is that she trusted an author. The book took off. It was doing brilliantly, nominated for everything, hitting every list. And then she found out that the author had lied. And, you know, that pulls down not only the author, but everybody associated with it, with the publishing house, the, her team and, you know, her Rebecca's boss is like, you've got to fix this. Whatever you do, you have to fix it, which is why Rebecca is desperate to land um, this other author who she thinks, you know, will give her the like chops she needs to move her imprint forward. But it is, you know, publishing is an incredibly competitive field for the authors, but also on the other side. I mean, you know about that, Zibi, you know, (laughs) what is your experience? What what do you, well, what what do you think about it? Well, we're not, I don't know we're not,
0: I would never feel bad for being excluded from an auction. Like I feel like once books are going to go for the, I mean, we can't play in that space where books are going for like a bazillion dollars. (laughs) Like that's just not where we are as a boutique publishing firm, but, but it's a bummer like to see a, a manuscript go and be like, oh my gosh, I wish I had had a chance to read that. That sounds like something that would have been up my alley. So yes, you have that for sure. Tell me about the writing of this story and even where you were in your own life
1: as you wrote it. Well, you know, of course, I mean, as someone who has a full career, that's, these are all issues that I deal with, right? So the Rebecca aspect of it, juggling family and life and a husband and kids, and while really trying to do, to function in a very high powered field is a challenge that I understand greatly. I remember when the kids were, you know, when I had my first baby and we took an international flight and my husband changed the baby's diaper on the plane. And like, you should have heard those flight attendants. It was like the second coming, you know, they're like, (laughs) He was so wonderful. I was just like, uh, I, uh, me. Like I, I changed the diaper too, but you know, nobody cares, right? Nobody cares. Anyway, so you know, that was Rebecca's story. But then Jasmine's, of course, is very much based on my own upbringing as a Chinese girl in a very traditional family where, you know, women were not expected to grow up and go to college. It was, I was very poor. We worked in a factory. I worked in a factory as a child in New York city of all things. And, you know, there was no expectation of, you know, go to an Ivy league college. No, it was really work in the factory your whole life or, go and marry if you're lucky you know find some man willing to marry you and then you can bear him sons and cook for him and clean for him and so these were very important skills which I utterly lacked in every way to me. <laughs> was the worst I still am housekeeper cook ever known to man so you know they despaired of me and I looked at those two choices and I was like you know what I'm going to go to Harvard. And, you know, (laughs) years later, that's actually what I wound up doing. But it it was a long, hard road from, you know, that run down, unheated apartment in Brooklyn and the factory in Chinatown to um, an Ivy League school. But I was glad that I had that escape route. But I knew so many people who didn't. And the one child policy in China was devastating families, you know, in so many different ways. And so I knew those daughters who had been left or abandoned or given for adoption, but I also knew people who had adopted those daughters. I knew their story and their love as well. And so I always knew that this was a book I needed to write. Wow. My gosh. I know we talked about this
0: With searching for Sylvie Lee and your background and just the unbelievable resilience and strength and drive that you had to go to not just an Ivy League school, you know. So how did you back then, like why, where did it come from that you're like, no, I'm going to go to Harvard? Like where, where did that come from?
1: You know, that's such an interesting question. I think that desperation can do a lot for you and the lack of talent in, you know, traditional womanly traits. So It was like, there was no way I was going to be able to take care of a man because I, am you know, opinionated and argumentative and also a daydreamer. I was one of those kids that was always staring out the window instead of doing the practical things I was supposed to be doing. So I, I, you know, people sometimes ask indeed, you know, how was it that you managed to get to Harvard, you know, with no, I mean, believe me, I did not go to any kind of extra classes or coaching or, you know, anything like that in terms of any tests or applications on that route. And I, I, what I always say is, you know, I, I took it seriously. I knew that that was my way out. And, you know, Harvard, I set my sights on because it has a need-blind admission policy. So I knew it was one of the schools that if I got in, they would arrange it so that I could go, no matter how little my family could pay. And it was also the only school my parents had ever heard of. So it was like, okay, <laughs> so, all right. Uh-huh. That would increase the chances of being allowed to go. But I was serious. And I think there's a real difference between being serious and knowing you don't really have a safety net, and kind of like wanting something and thinking maybe I want to do it, and maybe I don't, and I don't know, you know, I mean, something I like to talk about is that I think that we have our short-term happiness, and believe me, I am easily seduced by chocolate and movies and, you know, hanging out and lying on the couch instead of doing the things I need to do, but I have learned that there's long-term fulfillment that comes from actually being serious and taking the time and taking the effort to do something well. And um, somebody said this to me recently that I don't remember who, but it was very wise. And it was like, it was that how good you're going to be at something is measured by how much you can tolerate being bad at it. And what that means is that like, if I want to learn to ice skate and I am terrible, terrible, but I can. Tolerate being terrible, and I keep at it, and I go on being terrible instead of being like, "Oh my god, I don't like this. I'm leaving." You know, because I wasn't great at school. You know, I like I the I didn't speak any English. I almost flunked out. You know, there I was in the worst reading group. I remember wishing I could be with like the smart kids, and I wasn't. I think that if you can tolerate. Not being good. And sometimes you have to tolerate for a really long time, you know, really long, you know, you can become great. You can become great at it because if you're serious and you have the passion, I think you can really do anything.
0: Wow. That was very inspirational. Thank you.
1: (laughs) That was great.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobilecom switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials?
0: just back to the book for a minute. Do you feel like you wanted Rebecca to be a likable character or did you want us to be questioning her and her personality? Did you want us, like, how did you want the reader to feel about Rebecca?
1: Well, I can tell you how I feel about Rebecca. Okay, which is that let's do I, that. Yes, <laughs> yes. I love Rebecca. I completely love Rebecca. I completely love Jasmine as well. And that was the difficulty because this is an impossible situation with one child and two mothers. You know, when you are the author of a book, you have to be willing to have your characters make terrible, terrible mistakes. And they both do. Both Jasmine and Rebecca make terrible choices. And there are ways in which Rebecca's vision is limited. And that's a part of actually the big plot twist in the book that we see how limited her vision is in some ways, right? But she's doing her best. She's trying and she is at heart a really good person who's doing her best. And so I, I mean, I have had readers who, you know, Camp Rebecca, Camp Jasmine, you know, they, they tend to go one way or another or sometimes, you know, they love them both or they hate them both. But I'm really squarely in both camps. I think that they're both wonderful women. And in the end, you know, the what I want the book to say is actually I want the book to emphasize unity over division and that, you know, the most important thing is what these two women have in common, and that is their absolute love for that girl and their willingness to sacrifice everything for the child interesting i love
0: it i also really loved anthony and the childhood love sort of of uh, of jasmine back home and how he was still wearing the bracelet when they got reunited and oh my gosh and just how you wove that relationship in all its forms throughout the the book and i don't know i was kind of rooting for him too <laughs>
1: I'm glad. I mean, I love him too. I mean, although he's also flawed. Yes. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of love that first little cute meet at the beginning when Jasmine and Anthony run back, run into each other again after all these years, because Anthony was indeed her childhood best friend and they had never had a relationship of any sort, but she was married off very young to someone um, almost really for money, you know? And so you know, they, they see each other and he like kind of stalks off because he's like, well, you know, you, like you dished me and you didn't like, you didn't care for me. And she's like, what? what are you like two years old? But then indeed she catches a glimpse of a bracelet that she had given to him when he was 14 years old and he still got it on. So what does that mean? Yeah.
0: Oh, I loved that. All the times they would meet up and didn't know where it was going to go. And I don't know. I loved that element woven throughout as well. Which character came first for you when you were writing this? Jasmine or Rebecca?
1: It's funny. I think actually they both came pretty much at the same time. But what's interesting is that I wrote them both in first person. So in the original draft of the book, both Rebecca and Jasmine were written in first person. And then I felt I needed a little bit more distance from Rebecca, also that it'd be easier for the reader to differentiate the two voices and so on. And so then I moved Rebecca into close third point of view. Instead, um, I it's funny because you know. I mean, Rebecca's white, I'm not, Jasmine's Chinese, I am Chinese, of course, but there were a lot of ways in which I had to really project myself into both characters, like Rebecca's in the publishing world, you know, Mm -hmm. which is my world, it's a world I know really well, and, you know, kind of, you know, I love being in that world, I love the inner dirt of the world all the gossip that we share about oh my gosh did you hear oh what happened at the frankfurt book fair this year you know who disappeared to a hotel room together yeah you know, that kind of dishiness is just so fun so that part of rebecca's life actually came very easily to me and the two, of course jasmine i have a lot in common with jasmine with you know, the attitude towards women and feeling oppressed and feeling like you don't have a voice. And Jasmine finally finds her voice because she loves her child so much that she decides to take action and break from her life. But, you know, Jasmine's like, whole life in rural China, I had to do a lot of research. I mean, interviewed a lot of people because I was born in Hong Kong, a big city in China, but I've never really lived in a rural village in China. And the book was written during the pandemic. There was no chance of me actually traveling there, which I like to do, to do research. So, you know, both characters were really fun to write, but also very challenging in their own ways. Interesting. What are you working on now? I am, um, I do have a book due soon and it is a murder set at Harvard. So yes. And I actually just spent the summer traveling to Cambridge and Harvard to, you know, just go through everything, go through Widener, the libraries. I've been interviewing, um, people I knew there, um, you know, all about the Adam's house swimming pool. I don't know if you know, but there's a swimming pool. It's not there anymore, but it was there when I was a student where people would swim nude and all kinds of things would happen in that swimming pool. Wow. So Yes. Who knew? So, uh, yeah, who knew, <laughs> right? Who could expect this kind of thing? That's my new book. That
0: sounds That's really coming.
1: Good. Not yet. Not yet. The Leftover Woman First. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I just October, like yes. Lisa. Well <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: Who have you been reading lately that you really like, or what stories or books have you, or even films, or just things that you've been like obsessed with lately?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, there have been so many wonderful books um, lately. And actually, I'm writing an article for you, Zibi, with a roundup <laughs> of books. <laughs> I'm going to get that to you. Um, well, <laughs> the, many you. Ways, the many ways in which Zibi has an influence uh, on our literary life. No, but there are, you know, there's so many great books out, of course, like Yellow Face is the great, you know, Publishing dishy book that's uh, out and everyone's reading right now, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. I absolutely loved. I read that book and I just could not put it down. I love some books by Zibby Books, like Hedge. Oh, thank you. That came out that. earlier. That came out earlier this year by Jane Delury, and I think that that is just such a beautifully written. Kind of complex, but really fun to read book, you know, where you have relationships, you have love, you have romance, but you also have a mystery. And sometimes like, I think those are kind of the best types of books where you have all of this depth, but you still have this propulsive, plotted element to carry you through, I think that's a really beautiful book. And I loved, I'm actually Jane's author mentor, Mm -hmm. and I loved being in touch with her and talking to her about the process and what she was going through and uh, all of that. Oh my gosh. This
0: is literally the first time someone's ever said that they have been reading a book published by me well, <laughs> published by I said, books, you, sure. you just started right You just started. started. <laughs> yes was very yes. nice of you yes and <laughs> jane jane is a beautiful writer absolutely beautiful and hedge was beautiful so yay give aspiring authors some advice what advice would you have what what should they do what should they look out for how do they become you
1: Oh, well, I don't know if they want to be me, but I do, I think that one thing that's always very hard for writers to think about is, you know, when do I make changes and when don't I make changes, right? You get so much advice and you also get pressure to make changes to your book. If, if your career goes to a certain place, right? We all start by writing for ourselves, but then if you want to make a career, you actually have to write for other people at the same time, right? So you have an agent, you have a publisher, everyone has an opinion. And, you know, it's not true that we are always right. I think that we, we wish we were always right, but, you know, I have certainly benefited from advice and that there's been many, many times when the fact that I listened to advice Help the book tremendously. But when do you listen and when are you going astray? And I, what I always say is that I think we write out of passion we write and that passion translates onto the page. Like in The Leftover Woman, you know, the passion of mine that's on that page is my own experience as a Chinese woman and feeling like I wasn't heard and I wasn't seen and that I wasn't allowed to be heard or seen. And that passion, you have to keep alive. It's like a flame that's in your work. And Advice, absolutely. Listen to advice if you feel like it's taking you closer to where you go. But it's better to have a creature that's maybe not typical, but is vivid and alive and visceral and raw than to have a kind of corpse that is perfectly proportioned, but is just lying dead on the page. And I think we know that, right? So when we read books, when you get a manuscript, you read it and you feel, oh, this is alive, you know, this is passionate. This is something I can, yeah, I can burn for, as opposed to something where you're like, yeah, it's got all the right, you know, characteristics, but it doesn't do much for me.
0: Mm-hmm. If only there was a way to <laughs> bottle that <laughs> sauce when something just works, because it's hard to break down why, but you know it when it happens, right? You can on both sides, reading, writing.
1: It's just like love, right? It's just like chemistry. You go on a date and, you know, every, you've done all the research and they seem totally fine and you've even done a Zoom and they look like the picture and then you go on the date and you're like, whoa, (laughs) somehow like, (laughs) or yes, yes, yes. Right. Sometimes you think, yeah, I don't really know, but you feel that chemistry and you think, oh, well, okay. Well actually maybe. Right. And it's, it's indescribable and it's, yeah, it's very, very hard to predict.
0: I love that relationships with books being like chemistry between when you're dating between people. That's really interesting. I like that a lot. Thank you, Jean. Thank you for the leftover woman. Thank you for the propulsive, unpardonable read that I found just totally immersive. And I just love you and your story and your enthusiasm and your kindness. And I'm just so glad we've gotten to know each other between books and all of that. So
1: well, I feel the same way, Zibby. And I want to thank you for being the incredible person that you are personally and professionally because you know we've connected also on personal issues and you have been so supportive and lovely in every single way and for what you do for um for us and for books and for authors. So thank you Uh
0: Thank you. Thank you thank you. This is so nice. Thank you. This is so (laughs) great. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.
2: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all.